In the uh, Gospel of John, chapter 12, it tells the story. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. And then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say that because he cared about the poor. He did it because he was a thief. And as the keeper of the money bag, he used it to help himself to what was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. This last week, we lost one of my personal heroes, and I'm sure many of yours as well. Uh, Somebody who was a great man and a beautiful person. And one of my favorite quotes by Nelson Mandela, there is no passion to be found playing small in settling for a life that is less than the one you are capable of living. Well, good morning, y'all. It has been a a pretty amazing journey here at Westridge uh, for the past several months, really. And if you're just visiting with us uh, this morning, what you may not know is that we've been in the uh, middle, and this is the end of the Believe series, which uh, has been tied to our capital campaign by the same name. And while the purpose has been to raise the necessary dollars um, that... I believe will have a meaningful impact on the ministry here at Westridge. I think the bigger story is that, and many of you have already told me this, that this campaign has already had this amazing impact on your relationship with God and your own spiritual growth and your faith. And that's been really cool to be a part of that. And um, we were really hoping that from the beginning that this would be something that would be the catalyst uh, for growth. Uh, Two weeks ago, we gathered together in this room, and if you haven't already heard, there were 175 families, individual families and individuals that committed more than $1 million, which was absolutely uh, incredible. Yeah. And I think the astonishing part about that is that those commitments are above and beyond what we're already giving week in and week out. So that makes it even more this incredible act of generosity. What you did was extravagant. When you look up the word extravagant in the dictionary, I love the definition because it says, and it fits so well in this context, it says, lacking in moderation or restraint exceeding what is reasonable or appropriate, absurd. You people were absolutely absurd in your generosity. It was ridiculous. 
And I am very grateful, and every time I think about it, it just uh, moves me to my core. Uh, In that passage that I read just a, a few minutes ago in John chapter 12, this is really another story about extravagant generosity. Uh, the scene in the Bible is designed to cut through all the pretense and get down to what it really, really looks like, to give us an image, a picture of what it looks like to love Jesus. And the story takes place just after Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. And so it is believed that this dinner was thrown as a way to say thank you to Jesus for this miracle, and he was the guest of honor. And at this dinner was Mary and Martha, who we've talked about before from other parts of the Gospels. They are sisters, but what you may not know is that they are also the sisters of Lazarus, who was also there. And please Don't let it be lost on you that this guy who was dead just a short time ago is now sitting across the table from Jesus having dinner. This was a celebration of life and a celebration of their friendship with Jesus and their love for this person so that everybody in the room could say thank you for what Jesus had done in bringing back their friend and their brother from the dead. So dinner is finished. You know, everybody's just kind of chilling. I'm sure Martha is frantically trying to clean up quickly. And Mary just goes into this moment where she becomes so overwhelmed with love and gratitude, she realizes that words aren't enough. Saying thank you is not enough. You ever experienced that? Where your heart just fills up so much that words fall short. Thank you seems meaningless, and you just have to do something. Well, Mary feels just like that. She becomes so overwhelmed with gratitude that she just has to do something, and so she takes out this perfume. Now, we're not talking about Old Spice here, all right? (laughs) This was an expensive imported item that carried so much value, and it was so rare that people actually used it for investment purposes because its value continued to go up all the time. This was more than likely a family heirloom that had been passed down into the family because we know that Mary and Martha weren't necessarily well off. And according to verse 5, when Judas is like, oh, what's this? Why are you doing this? And do you know how much that's worth? He tells us that that little bit of perfume is worth about a year's wages so we can extrapolate that that's somewhere around 25000 in today's dollars? And before you dismiss that, like, well, that's just a nice story that's probably not even possible, I googled. <laughs> the most expensive perfume that is sold in the world today is a fragrance called Clive Christian Number no. 1 Imperial Majesty 
perfume. It just sounds expensive, doesn't it? You want to guess how much that sucker sells for an ounce? 12000 this is an ounce, $12,721.89. Isn't that crazy? And Mary, like, busts out 16 ounces of this stuff. Mary grabs the bottle in a moment of sheer gratitude, and she falls at the feet of Jesus and takes out this rare and expensive perfume and pours it all over the feet of Jesus. And if that wasn't enough, it still wasn't enough. She then takes her hair and begins to wash the feet of Jesus. It was amazing. This became an extravagant gift that was born out of her love and gratitude to Jesus. Mary gave up something that had incredible value to her for something that had more value than you could ever put a price on. She wasn't concerned with calculating how much she would give. She wasn't interested in taking just 10% of that perfume and measuring that out and pouring that amount. She poured it all. All that she had, she emptied onto the feet of Jesus. And in that moment, she was all in. That act exceeded the limits of reason. It lacked moderation or restraint. It was absurd. It was extravagant. Extravagant generosity is when we become so overwhelmed with gratitude that we give something that has great value to us. But the act of giving it means more than the value that is placed upon it. It's priceless. One of the most humbling things for me during this Believe campaign are the number of people who have come to me and told me their story. And many, many people said, you know, I I would just wish that I could have given more. But when they tell their story, it just breaks your heart because people who have committed $20 or $50 or $100, and out of the million dollars, these are some of the most meaningful gifts that have been given because those were all in gifts from people who lost their job people who have experienced deep pay cuts and they're trying to figure it out. People who are hanging on by a thread financially, but more than anything, they want to be part of this because their heart is so full, in spite of their own economic crisis, their heart is so full of gratitude that they just have to do something. I love the fact that we had several commitments from several of our own kids in this church. Kids who committed to the Believe campaign and who committed that they would do chores. Tell me you don't believe in miracles. That they would do chores to work it off so that they could pay for the Believe commitment. I mean, that is extravagant generosity. And we have a church that is full of extravagant love, 
and grace. And I love that about this place. I just want to give you an example of kind of this extravagance that we're talking about. This building is also, that we're sitting in, is also an act of extravagance. I, I, to be honest with you, I had a really hard time justifying building a church building. Primarily because I hate church buildings. And I also grew up as a pastor's kid. And my dad was not a traditional pastor. He was actually a pastor who started new churches. So he would start a church and then get it going and then move on. So the average size church that we were a part of was probably 40 to 75 people if it was a big one. So there was really no money in the budget for any kind of a building. And I grew up where every Saturday night we would head over to the school gymnasium in whatever town that my dad was starting the church in at the time. And as a family, we'd get together and we would set up all the chairs for church. And we'd set up the little stage area and the sound system and the nursery and everything else that it took to do church every stinking Saturday night. But I'm not bitter. So the truth is, when we started Westridge and we ended up like at Elgin Community College in this visual and performing arts center that was like $40 million and he had these beautiful chairs that are all provided for us and the sound system and lights and this cool area. They even let us store all of our kids' ministry stuff so we didn't have to schlep it back and forth every week. I mean, it was amazing. So I had a hard time getting my hands around the idea that I should ask people to sacrifice in order to build a church building. It just wasn't interesting to me. And by the way, most church buildings sit vacant six days a week. You know, what a waste. Well, it wasn't until a friend of mine took me aside and said, Darren, you don't have to build some traditional-looking church building. He's like, you can build something that can become an outreach for people who don't know God. He said, dude, think outside the box. Think different, man. And for the first time, I was introduced to the idea of architectural evangelism, (laughs) which is kind of funny, but it's quite simply constructing a building that is so unique and so inviting to people that they actually want to come and be part of whatever is going on in that unique-looking building over there. I want to know what that is. And so I brought in a couple friends of mine from California who were former designers for Disney and along with several other gifted people, and we set out to do something extravagant for God. And you know something? It worked. I can't tell you the number of people whose lives have been changed because they were just driving by this building and for whatever reason, they turned into the parking lot just because they were curious as to what this place was all about. I had people walking out of first service going, hey, that was me. We we did the same thing. This was an extravagant building, and it functions seven days a week. When you guys leave here, this place turns into a big O center for the arts during the week, which is amazing. This place is just filled with music all week long. And then there's 
times we have a school in here on Fridays with all the kids that are homeschooled, and, and uh, we have AA meeting in here and everything else. I mean, this place is buzzing seven days a week. And so many of us have sacrificed and worked hard to create this beautiful gift for God. And it's like we just took this expensive jar of perfume and busted it open all over the feet of Jesus. And many people will come to know God as a result of your extravagant generosity. Through my years of living out the Christian faith, much to my dismay, I have learned that spiritual growth is not easy. There is not some three-step process that takes you from here to there. There is no magic formula that makes you grow like a chia pet. And if you desire to follow Jesus, that's great. But if you're doing it out of a sense of obligation or guilt because your mama's guilting you about going to church or because of, out of tradition, if you're, not doing, if you're doing it out of those reasons, that is not a sustainable model for spiritual growth. When the rubber hit the road, my religious upbringing was not enough to keep me close to God when the tough times hit. Spiritual growth is messy and dynamic and a whole lot of work, but what I've learned is this. There are two pillars to the Christian faith that make our spiritual lives sustainable, that make our relationship with God doable for the rest of our lives. Gratitude and generosity. And one begets the other. The more grateful we are, the more generous we become. And if those two things are the foundation of our relationship with God, we will have a relationship and we will stay close to God until the end of time. It's only when we finally realize just how dark was the darkness we were in before we met God, just how lost we really were, when we can look back and we can see the hard times that God has brought us through, the growth that we've experienced, we may not have anything as visibly miraculous as Jesus bringing back our friend or brother from the dead, but he has done miraculous things in our lives nonetheless. As we remember how deeply he has healed us from our past, how he has changed our lives so dramatically, how far he has brought us over the years. And when we get that, we can then finally grasp this thing called grace. And when our lives are filled with grace, our hearts fill up so full of gratitude, words aren't enough. Our words fall short. A thank you just doesn't seem enough. And it fills up so much that we just have to do something as we fall at the feet of Jesus. I wish that I had time to talk you through all the amazing things that have transpired in the last 12 months through this Believe campaign and to get to this point 
But suffice it to say that if you have attempted to refinance your house since the collapse of the baking industry in 2008, you can kind of get a glimpse of what it would be like and imagine the difficulty we've had as a church to refinance our mortgage. We've been working on it for almost a year now, and let's just say that all of the banks that we have met with have been very kind and polite as they have shown us to the door. But we found a bank that gave us a little bit of an opening. They gave us a little bit of hope. And they were willing to take a risk. And so they told us, they said, look, here's what we're willing to do. If you're willing to enter into a capital campaign, and if we see that your people are committed and they make significant commitments to pay down the debt over the next three years, then we would commit to refinancing your loan. Thus, the Believe campaign. I have to tell you, when I reported back to our loan officer and told her how much our church committed, she was completely blown away. She said, I didn't think you could actually raise that much money. The, the loan officer was just absolutely overwhelmed, and she said it was just amazing. And I said, yep, the people of Westridge are amazing. They did an amazing thing, and now it's time for you to do your thing and get this loan approved. <laughs> there are a million things that can go wrong during a loan committee meeting, and I've experienced them all in my professional career. A lot of breakdowns that can happen, but I'm happy to report that nothing did. And at 7.59 a.m. this last Tuesday morning, as I was sitting on a plane getting ready to take off for Texas, even though the front door of the plane was shut, I took a call. I broke the rules. I sinned against American Airlines. And I took the call from our loan officer who said, Darren, I couldn't wait to tell you. The Westridge loan has just been approved. And the amazing thing is, the credit officer, who's the most negative guy in the room, didn't even say anything. He was just silent. And everybody was incredibly supportive. I don't know who was more excited, her or me. But I can tell you that after a year of long, hard work, I was overwhelmed with gratitude for what God has done. So let me just remind you what you people have done here, all right? First of all, you have saved the church more than $3 million in interest expense. You have freed up almost $100,000 a year in cash flow for the church to now be able to expand much-needed ministries. And we will be paying down a million dollars in debt over the next few years. It's incredible. It reminds me of the parable of the talents. You know how Jesus said, for what you have been given, if you go out and use it wisely, and everybody went out, and there was somebody who made three times the money, and somebody who made two times, you guys, because of what you have given, have made four times the money for the church because of your million-dollar investment here 
at Westridge. And it's incredible. And, by the way, because of your commitment, next Sunday, Officers Powell and Zerk will be getting you out onto Route 20 so that you don't have to try getting out of our parking lot for an hour. How's that for a miracle? And so today, we just need to take this thing over the finish line and and get it done. And so today is what we're calling First in Sunday. First in Sunday is for those of us who have made our commitments to the Believe campaign. And if you're visiting with us this morning, this is not for you. This is for all of us who call Westridge our church home. And even though our commitment is over a three-year period, to the extent that we're able to give as much as we can here today, this will provide the necessary dollars that we need in order to close on the loan. So the bank has told us that if we can come up with just under $200,000 this morning, or roughly 20% of our total commitments, then they will commit to getting our loan closed by December 20th, and we totally believe we can get that done. I can stand up here today and tell you honestly that my wife and I are all in, we're fully committed, and we're going to give 100% of our commitment this morning. And that's not in a bragging way, that's just to say, hey, we're in this thing together, and we're doing, everybody's doing their part. And we know that your economic situation may not be able to do that, and that's okay. But whatever we can give to the full extent we can, this will reduce our debt in a significant way. So in your program this morning, there is an envelope. And if you have made a commitment, this is your chance to be able to give your first in commitment, uh, first in dollars toward your believed commitment. And if you didn't make a commitment and you would like to give a one-time gift towards this, you can by placing your money in the envelope and uh, putting it in the offering as it goes around uh, later. Again, if you're visiting with us this morning, this is not for you. So in just a moment, the band is going to come up and they're going to play a song. And while they're playing a song, we're going to take up an offering, but it's a first in offering. So I just want to warn you and caution you and put a big Red thing, siren flashing. This is not the normal offering. So don't put your regular offering in this first round, as we'll call it. Uh, This is just for our first in commitments. um, And we are excited to see what God is going to do in such an incredible way. And hopefully we will have a closing on December 20th that will change everything for us forever. When... I've been through a lot over the last 16 years in terms of just being part of Westridge. And even though I'm a volunteer, uh, I've been very um, connected to the fabric of a lot of people's lives, and I've seen a lot. And I can tell you this in terms of some of the things that I've learned in my years of being part of the ministry here, is that when we come to the end of our lives, we will not regret not having made enough money. Only that we didn't give enough away. We will not regret not having lived in a bigger house. Only that we loved too little. We won't regret that we didn't work hard enough. 
only that we didn't give enough of ourselves to other people. We won't regret not being successful in our careers, only that we didn't use our gifts to give back. And the thing that scares me more than anything else about my life is coming to the end and having any regret. There's an old saying that the closer you live to God, the smaller everything else becomes. And it's the idea that the more we grow spiritually, the closer that we do get to God, the more we understand that everything else is just meaningless. And the closer we become to making that true, the more that it frees us up to live passionately, fearlessly, brilliantly. Don't waste another moment of your time chasing the wrong stuff. Because one day, all of that stuff will come to an end and have no meaning. So I leave you with the words of a great man who once lived, who said, there is no passion to be found in playing small and settling for a life that is less than the one you are capable of living. So live extravagantly. I love the, uh, the imagery that the Bible uses to describe the death of Jesus because it talks about his life being poured out just like that perfume was poured out as a sacrifice, as an act of saying thank you, that the life of Jesus was poured out in an extravagant gift to you and me, that he gave his life for us. And there's no way that we can match what that gift was, but there's times where we just have to do something and say thank you for saving me, for loving me, for giving me forgiveness. Every week here at Westridge, we take communion because we really believe that what Jesus did on the cross was the most important thing to our Christian faith. And so the Bible asks us to take communion in remembrance of what Jesus did for us. And so in just a moment, there'll be a tray of bread. If you'll take a piece of bread and eat it, pass the tray on down to the next person, but take it in remembrance of the broken body of Jesus Christ. In the same way, there'll be a tray of cups of juice that we passed. If you take a cup of juice and drink it, put the empty cup back in the tray, pass it down to the next person. But as you do, take it in remembrance of the blood that was spilled there on that cross. Let's pray together. Father, we are just so grateful for this church, for your love, for your grace, for your son. Words can't express and fall way short when we just want to say thanks, but we do anyway. Thank you for loving us so much that you gave your only son to die for us. And it's in Jesus' name that we're gathered. Amen.